Welcome to Chronic Combat Conversations, a live look at our best bets, picks, and predictions for every UFC event with your hosts, TV Scouting MMA and the Guru back again for UFC Vegas 51, Vicente Luque versus Bilal Muhammad 2. Uh, also known as UFC on ESPN 34, looking to bounce back, man. This is a really exciting card, but on, from my opinion, a very tough one from a betting perspective. So we brought in one of MMA Twitter's finest. You can find him way up on the rankings in Bet MMA. One of those tips things that we always tell people to go check out. Make sure you check it out. YouTube, MMA Kelton, Twitter, at MMA Kelton. Kelton, what is up, brother? What is up, man? I, I'm pumped to be here. I'm pumped to top, talk fights with you guys. You know, crazy. It's been about a year since I've done my last podcast. I took a little wow. break and I, that was mostly just to kind of refresh myself. You know, this game of betting is so tough. I mean, last week that was a real doozy. And um, yeah. I feel like taking that refresh, it really um, gave me new life in this game. I feel like I've been doing pretty good. And then you asked me to come on the podcast. I'm like, hell yeah, it's it's my time to come back and researching this card it was uh fun and now I'm, now i'm excited to talk these fights with you man yeah last week was certainly humbling to say the least but uh not as still not as humbling as having you on the podcast man so seriously thanks so much for giving us your time and and coming on and and thanks for popping that uh 2022 cherry with us we uh we're really happy to to have you on of course and, uh, tb what do you think of this card man well, this is a this is an interesting one no yeah, I mean, listen, this is one of those ones where, like, we're finally seeing some action in the upper ranks of the welterweight division. So to keep that momentum going off of the Burns and Shamaya fight right into Luke versus Muhammad, I think we're starting to see, like, who the next competitors might be for that title. So it, it's nice to see kind of like the little mini Grand Prix come together here, you know, over these weeks. And, yeah, man, I'm just super excited that, you know, we keep the train rolling here. There's not a lot of time to, like, lick our wounds or anything like that no. because honestly it's time to get back into it like so no, listen, no time it might to in a down week but yeah we're right back and make sure you're subscribed to mma kelton make sure you're following him on twitter make sure you give us a like on this video make sure you're subscribed to our channel because no matter what we're bringing the conversation and and i think it's ready to get this one started about Luke and kelton's channel Muhammad, right yeah yeah this one's really, really exciting, man. This car, I mean, it's one of those, um, it's a rematch that like you didn't really know that you needed again. It's like, you know what? I, we could see this again. That first fight happened, what was it, six years ago already? I mean, he, uh, Vicente Luque sparked him really quick. We've never seen Bilal Muhammad sparked since like that, right? I mean, it was that was like his first knockout loss, and he hasn't lost like that since. So um, I don't want to say it was a fluke. Vicente Luque is a fucking savage, as I'm sure we're going to get into as, as sure as TB pulls up the scat, stats. But um, Vicente is is really like it's his his nickname is so apropos. The silent assassin. He is quietly climbing these ranks, man, um, has beaten some of the best guys in the division, has has shown um, just that how not to be a boring fighter at all. Um, we had big money on Michael Chiesa over him. And, uh, you know, that almost looked good for a quarter of a second there until it really didn't where, you know, Chiesa decided to go for uh, submission over position, a, a very a, kind of a rookie mistake. But he's also Chiesa shown to make those mistakes. So uh, Vicente Luque, man, could really capitalize here with his explosiveness. I, I feel that, you know, Bilal Muhammad, right, somebody that uses so much of his aggressiveness and his activity and being such a powerhouse, his work rate, right? 
well, that's going to be kind of difficult to implement, especially with the takedowns when somebody is constantly driving you backwards, right? You know, you, you see that where, um, where you, where you drive a wrestler, you drive their takedowns, you, you close that gap and it makes it more difficult for them. And it's, it's kind of uh, more of a telegraph, right? They kind of have to force those shots because they don't have the openings. They don't have that pressure. And if we know anything about Vicente is that he keeps coming and coming. And while um, we haven't seen Vicente in a five round fight, um, I, again, his cardio has never been an issue through three and neither has his output. Uh, is that fair to say TB? Yeah, listen, man, I mean, right now you have Vicente Luque at minus 170 and Bilal Muhammad at plus 150. The line's been shrinking as the week goes on, where I thought we might have seen some action moving the other way based on you know, a lot of the confidence out there, it seems, in Vicente Luque. And, you know, I, I do remain a bit confident on that side. You got, you know, Luque coming out of Sanford MMA. I mean, you know, he's training with a lot of the great grapplers and wrestlers they have out there. And, you know, you see it. Maybe not so much in the initial takedown defense, but he is always going to fight to get back to his feet. Um, I would say one thing I'm a little concerned about, you see Bilal Muhammad has 25% control rate in all of his fights. We are in the small octagon, and Luque has given up about 18% control over time. So it's not like he hasn't been able to get like takedown or, or anything like that. But yeah, I, I mean, geez, this one... This one's just like super exciting, and and I do think that we are going to see this play out a lot further than the initial one went. Um, so you know, Vicente Luque at minus one seventy, you know, there there might be some interesting things to tie into that. But Kelton, where where are you sitting on this fight? Man, so if y'all have been watching me for a while, you know I have always been a huge fan of Bilal Muhammad. I think when it comes to things like hard work, fight IQ, cardio. Like Bala Muhammad has all of it. Uh, super well rounded. He's got good boxing. He's got great pressure. He's got good wrestling. He's got good grappling. Like Bala Muhammad has almost everything you want in a fighter. My only gripe on him, I wish he was a little more athletic. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not super explosive. I think that showed in that fight against uh, Leon Edwards, where Leon's hand speed in his boxing it was just it was just a notch above. And I don't want to say Bala Muhammad. Um, is hitting a ceiling here at the top five, but at this point it's going to be hard for him to win fights. However, I do think he can win this fight against Vicente Luque. I think Vicente Luque, you know, he's, he deserves that favorite price tag next to his name. Like the dude, I mean, talking about well-roundedness, that's a well-rounded guy right there in Vicente Luque, you know, super sharp. Of course, I don't even got to talk about that left hook, the power, and that Darce joke, man, I mean, Vicente Luque truly is one of the most dangerous men in the UFC. But, you know, I don't want to be the guy to say Vicente Luque kind of has an overrated resume. So I'm not going to say that. I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit. hint it. at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just tell you a little about his resume. Like sure. in recent years, like we're talking two wins over Nico Price. All right. Uh, yeah. Brian Barbarina, which, guys, that was a war in which like, he could have easily lost that fight had he not got the finish very late. Uh, Mike Perry, another fight where it was a war. He easily could have lost that fight. Uh, Derek Krantz, who I don't even think is in the company anymore, no. got dominated by Steven Thompson. Nico Price again. Randy Brown, who I like, but, I mean, we're not talking like a elite talent there. Tyron Woodley, who was in the, uh, the I believe, the 40s stages of his yeah. career at that point. And Tyron Woodley. Yeah, and Tyron Woodley had moments in that fight. 
And then Michael Chiesa, who, I mean, Michael Chiesa is a great win. Don't get me wrong. But again, there was flaws shown by uh, Vicente Luque there. It wasn't really about what uh, he did right. Like it, it, you alluded to it. Michael Chiesa made a mistake there. He went submission over position. I thought he could have easily wrote out the rest of the round. Who knows how the rest of the fight would have gone. But um, I don't know, man. I, I feel I feel like my boy Bilal, if he doesn't get knocked out, which listen that's that's a complete possibility it's happened once which i i don't think i gotta say though like that fight that happened six years ago we we can't really look at that as an indicator of what's going to happen here and funny enough we actually have a rematch earlier on in the card where their first fight was even longer than the six year difference between this rematch we'll talk about that one later it's so crazy but um yeah, so I, I'm with uh, you guys. I think the line is going to go towards Luke's way. And, like, if fight day comes and Bilal Muhammad's got, like, a plus 175 next to him, I'm going to be very tempted to take that shot. I've bet the guy so many times before. Why stop now? Mm. The problem is, though, just don't get knocked out. Well, so, so, what about my, so what about this? And this was one of the big concerns that I saw. Um, and, and you're totally right about, I mean, I feel almost stupid saying he's fought some of the best guys in the division. You're like, well, actually it's overrated. I'm like, well, actually <laughs> you're a hundred percent right. Um, so it's just like, what about the Bilal Muhammad, Jeff Neal fight? So like what I took away from that fight was that Jeff Neal was not nearly a good, as good a grappler or wrestler. It's just that he was physical and like a better athlete, kind of like what you alluded to and like the more powerful striker. And that was just enough to 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 pour it on Bilal, basically. I, I kind of felt that maybe Vicente could do something similar. Is that like a is that like a rookie way to look at that? You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that fight is the only time I've ever bet against Bilal Muhammad. And I'm sure you remember when Jeff Neal took that fight, that was like the rise of Jeff Neal. Like yes. mm-hmm. I think he was coming off like a huge head kick win. Like yeah. dude had a lot of hype. And I'm like, yo, I'm riding this Jeff Neal train. And he got it done. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with you. But the big difference between that fight and this fight is the uh the five round advantage. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in no way gonna say that Luke has bad cardio, but I will say Bilal probably has better cardio. Like Bilal has elite cardio. So like if we get to those later stages. I'm not saying Vicente is going to be gassed, but I'm saying that pressure that Bilal had put on him in the previous round, so it's probably going to have worn on him at that point. So if we don't see an early knockout from Luque, I think we're going to see a very competitive fight. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and to that point, that's where you kind of want to be holding that plus money ticket because the way I handicapped this fight, and maybe I'm trying to learn my lessons from last week previous lessons that i've learned already i think the prop that i like on this fight is the fight to start round three at minus 225 on FanDuel and kind of figure out where that where that parlay li- i mean because i mean you i guess maybe not as you can as i get the uh i saw your look healthy because like again because vicente is going to be so live early i guess is your yeah. thought yeah so and it's weird for me to be on vicente and think the fight's going to start round three so i guess i'm kind of all over here if <laughs> If Vicente wins this fight, my guess would be knockout in under one and a half rounds. Wow. Like, yeah. Wow. That's his yeah. best win condition, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's hard to argue that. It's how he's, uh, it's how he's done best. Eight I will KOs say we have, done. we've seen Balahum Muhammad knocked down six times uh, so far in the UFC. And, you know, he only has that one knockout loss on his resume, but there is, there does seem to be at least, some consistency to, to when someone can really land on him, whether it's 
you know, Lyman Good kind of tracking him down late in the fight. Um, you know, I know he he won he wins that fight, but uh, it got a little sketchy there in round three. And uh, yeah, I, I do think that you know Bilal Muhammad he is that well-rounded all-around fighter. And I I'm hesitating to like pull the trigger on Luke here because I just get that feeling. But yeah, you know, he might end up being a little bit of a straight play. I just don't see it as like uh, a play of the day or anything like that. Do we talk anything about the Leon Edwards Bilal fight? Because like for as long as that went, I felt like Leon was not only kind of doing his thing in the striking, but controlling him in the grappling as well. But maybe that's just Leon being Leon. I actually thought that Bilal looked pretty strong in the clinch exchanges in that fight. I was surprised when Leon kind of initiated stuff and Bilal was turning him around. So yeah, that's maybe... kind of where like Luke, you know, Tyron Woodley just bum rushes him in the beginning of their fight and gets him in a clinch situation. Now Luke like right. turns him out and everything. So I do see, you know, where Bilal could control him. But yeah, mm. I, I think we broke this one down well. And it's time to get onto a fight that has a, a lot less uh, UFC history behind it. It's kind of crazy. We got this this matchup here, and both guys are making their UFC debut. We got uh, Kyle Bahalio, uh coming in versus uh, Gaji Omar Gajiev. So, uh, oh my, oh my God, Jeff. Lions and Tigers and Omar God, <laughs> Now, this one's a, this is a really interesting one. I don't remember the last, I don't know if they've ever done a, a double Dana White contender series debut co main event, but this is it. And, um, it's a super interesting one. Kayo, who got the, um, I thought was an unbelievably impressive win versus Aaron Jeffries and Aaron Jeffries, sorry, the, uh, uh CFFC middleweight champion. And uh, he didn't get the uh, uh, contract. And I made sure to rewatch it. And I made sure to go back and rewatch the, the end interview with Laura Sanko. And he asked, Laura Sanko asked why. And she's just like, yeah, you know, just not really feeling it. Next time, kid. It's like the most random answer. It made no sense. But he gives him another shot three weeks later up a, up a weight class. And the dude doesn't go to decision. He take, makes a quick, quick work of the of the guy, gets himself a contract, and, and gets himself this shot here versus uh, a fellow Dana White contender series guy in Omagajev, who's uh, um, you know, seems to be an interestingly well-rounded fighter. Switch stances, very wrestling dominant, good top control, right? Likes to grapple. Um, trains at uh, MMA Factory with uh, Fernando Lopez. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of where it ends, though. I don't it's, you know, kind of interesting to know. I don't really know too much about him. His, uh, you know, his record seems a little sketchy to me. Um, One thing that really stood out, he's got like a win. The guy was 18 and seven. OK, great. But it was like one minute in and he like refused to keep fighting. I read like I, something not good there. I don't know. Seems kind of sketchy. And he's got the favorite tag. And I don't really know why, because I know, like, I may not know a lot of things, but I do know that this Aaron Jeffrey commodity is something. And I know that Kyo beat him fair and square at his game where he's best. Like, so to me, again, that really does mean something. And then the warrior status, three weeks later, up a weight class, no fear, no, like, chip on your shoulder, but not like that animosity where, fuck you, I'm not going to do it, like, I'll prove it and you know thank you for the opportunity and here he is the 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 nerd with the Clark Kent with the neck tattoo <laughs> I don't even know what's happening um I'm I get I'm you know I yeah, I'm I'm taking a shot on the dog dog or pass for me 
in this spot just based on a, a ton of question marks. I'm not sure that I'm uh, running to bet my car on it or anything, but it's mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a flyer on it, especially for co-main event. TB, Kelton? Yeah, what do you think? I mean, Bahalio at plus 110, Omar Gajiev at minus 130. The line has certainly been shrinking, so if you're looking to get in on the dog train, I mean, you got Bahalio's giving up a little bit of hype, but he's going to have a solid reach advantage, and his movement is... It's top-notch. The, the only thing, we are in the smaller cage, so I do think we do see some clinch play out. But I do think that Bahalio has shown to have, like, the tools when he gets in those positions to kind of pummel out. Now, Omar Gajiev, he does seem a little bit slow in plotting at times. And, and like, even in his transitions, he is a good wrestler. But I just uh, I, I have a tough time taking him as a favorite, uh, just specifically in this spot against someone that – has shown to have a nice, well-rounded game and and some perseverance. Um, so yeah, g- give me Bahalio. Uh, Kelton, how about you, man? So I'm gonna give this out as my uh, favorite bet of this card. I got uh, three units on the underdog, Kyle Bahalio. I put it uh, plus one twenty. So basically, I-, I don't understand at all why Omar Godziev is the favorite. I'm guessing it has something to do with the fact that he's thirteen and zero and that he's Russian. And that he, uh, his last name ends with a V, but like, let's talk about that 13 and 0 for a sec. A lot of people might not know, but he has a very interesting amateur career where, so, okay. Firstly, he made his pro debut in 2013, but he has a lot of amateur fights like between 2014 and 2018. And actually he lost three fights in a row on the amateur scene from 2014 to 2015. And he took a knockout loss in 2018. Now, for whatever reason or not, those are considered amateur fights. So he does have that 13 and 0 pro record props to him. But like, let's look at that pro record. I'll go in reverse chronicle chronological order on contender series. He fought a pure Muay Thai guy, had no idea how to stuff the takedown, looked lost on the mat. And uh, he ended up getting knee barred uh, fight before that. He fought on paper, a seven and O guy which yeah, he's a seven and O guy, but the kid was like 20 years old. He didn't look comfortable there at all. And someone uh, referred to that fight to me and uh, was making a case for Omar Godziev. And they're like, yeah, Omar Godziev can push a hard grappling pace for 15 minutes. And I replied to him like, bro, there was nothing hard about that fight at all. There was zero, (laughs) zero resistance from this kid. And then a fight before that, he beat a six and four guy on paper, but now that guy happens to be seven and 13. And, uh, you know, guru brought it up. There was a guy that quit a minute into the fight against him. I didn't see that fight, but like, bro, uh, this is the kind of competition he's facing before that. Oh, and O guy, three and three guy, the level of competition, 10 and eight, one and one. Yeah. It's really, it's very, very concerning. Yeah. There's a, there's a nine and two guy, but even that nine and two guy is now 14 and 11. Oh my God. <laughs> so like even the fight, even the fighters that he beat that look good on paper, you look at the record. Now it's like, yo, these guys are trash. Um, whereas Kyle Bahio, um, this dude, you brought it up. He beat, uh, Aaron Jeffrey who, I mean, Aaron Jeffrey, let's be real. He's going to be in the UFC soon. His only losses are to Kyle, Brendan Allen and Sean Brady, all really good fighters. He even bounced back after that Kyle fight. He's got regional titles. Like, Aaron Jeffrey's a really good fighter, like levels above anybody Omar Godziev has fought. And yeah, people will bring up where there was moments in that fight where Aaron Jeffrey was pushing him up against the cage, controlling him there for moments. 
Aaron Jeffrey does that every single yeah. fight, guys. Like he's a huge dude. He's a really strong guy. It, if you watch the fight, Kyo really shut down everything Jeffrey tried to do to him there. Um, Very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Kyo's got a judo background. I know he's a BJJ black belt and not just a BJJ black belt guy. So he's from Sao Paulo. So he's been running in the same circles as Damian Maya. He's actually been training under Damian Maya for eight years now. So that'll just tell you the kind of level jujitsu this guy. I'm not saying he's as good as Damian Maya, but you get what I'm saying. The guy's got good jujitsu. My main point here is these guys that Omar Godziev has been wrestling and grappling have shown zero resistance and that's just not what we're going to see from Kyo. He's probably going to stuff the majority of takedowns. If he does happen to get taken down, he's not going to be a fish out of water. Like these other guys, he's going to explode up back to the feet. He's a super explosive athletic guy. Like yeah. this is not going to be easy for Omar Godziev whatsoever. I think he's massively outmatched in the athleticism department uh, on the feet. Like Kyo Sometimes Kyle comes out and he's got a, like a karate stance and sometimes he's got more of a traditional uh, mixed martial arts stance. I really think he just like he bases it on the matchup like he's a super smart fighter guys like even watching him in like these defensive situations against Aaron Jeffrey. He does everything right like he is the, super hand, the hand fighting all of it all the, of the, it, the, head, it the head position. The way he the way he'll reverse the position and push him up against the cage. It really wasn't very impressive. Very well-rounded, very smart fighter. And I feel like on the feet here, I think he's got Omar Godzi have covered. I think he can stuff the takedowns. If he does get taken down, I think he works his way back up. And I think there's a chance he can find a finish here. I think he can win a decision over three rounds. He has a lot of decision wins. I mean, I like this guy a lot, man. I have no idea why he's the dog. Literally the only answer I can give you as to why Omar Godziev is the favorite is because he's got a 13 and 0 record next to his name and he's Russian. Like I seriously, like, I don't know how you can watch tape and come away with Omar Godziev being the rightful favorite here. I just don't get it. It's really funny earlier in the week. I was like, yo guru, like there's no way I'm betting this fight. Like then you get down into the tape. You're like, Oh, wait a second. Like there actually is an angle here. Like I'm always like a little sketched out on these debut guys. I like learning more like what they look like under the bright lights. But I mean, you saw Bahalio in that contender series spot twice and then moving up weight and finding that finish. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'll be throwing down here. Oh, geez. Throwing <laughs> down. You know, it's actually funny because, um, I already did. Let's <laughs> go. Let's go. You sold me. So no, listen. I had kind of seen it too, but like the way that we, we had actually talked about it offline, you and I, Kelton. Um, I we were kind of talking about. It. I was like, kind of like, oh yeah, I'm kind of leaning that way, you know, being tentative. And I don't want to sound like an idiot when I'm talking to Kelton here before he comes on the show. And he's like, dude, that's my big play. I'm like, yeah, yes, that's what. <laughs> yes, that's what I was gonna say. But seriously, don't be surprised if you end up seeing. Uh, some of Kelton's awesome plays kind of sneak their way or kind of some sort of customized way into our uh, creative way into our better MMA, because like I said, he really is um, one of the sharpest out there. So I, I won't call it stealing. I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the word inspiring. You, you inspire us to, to, to make the money. <laughs> I so like it. Whichever way we, we figure it out. <laughs> but uh, this next one, this next one's really interesting because um, I, I mean, I feel like uh, Andre Fajalio, right. He's got that, crazy where he's coming forward all the time and he's got that sometimes it's, we call that 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 invisible pressure at times too where you're not always doing it with crazy output and strikes it's it's the feints and it's the it's the marching forward as well 
Uh, but he's got legit power, man. And they put him against uh, Michelle Pajaya in his debut, right? So, like, that that shows you what they think about his explosiveness and, and where he has, is at in his MMA career. And then you see Miguel Baeza, right, who who gets started off his UFC career on a, on a decent note, beating uh, Sato, Takashi Sato, which maybe not is not the maybe the biggest win. And then he's kind of fallen on some tough times where we had him in that Pons fight and, you know, was 1-1 going into three and uh, was really very much stuck in the mud. Pons, you know, showed that vet skill and really pulled it out. And then he fights Chaos Williams and we were all over Chaos, man. And I guess it was 1-1 going into that third. I kind of thought Chaos was up, but didn't really matter. Slept him good, really good. And uh, we haven't seen him since. Um, so that's that's really the big question here, right? Can Andre Fajalio, the guy that kind of will either maybe lose by decision or win by round one, two knockout, can he get the round one, two knockout here versus Miguel Baeza? Or is, can Baeza maybe stun on him with more of his uh, uh, dynamic striking and, and maybe a little bit more athleticism? I just teed that up, right? Did I do okay, TB? That's usually your job. Did I do all yeah, right? Yeah, I know. You've been, uh, you've been rolling <laughs> along with it here. But listen, man, I think... Miguel Baez at minus 170, Andre Fialho at plus 150 here. Um, yeah, I, I keep on leaning back to the to the Baez side. And there's something that keeps on coming back from Fialho's tape on me is, I mean, this guy is a solid boxer. You know, he's got he's got a really good one-two. He's got the pressure. But he's very much heavy on the lead leg, and he's a little bit plotting at times as he cuts off the cage. And one thing that happens is he's a headhunter. Like he legitimately does not throw any body head combos. Anything Fialho is throwing at you, you can basically see coming. Um, with a guy like Baeza, taller, a little bit skinnier than, than the shorter stockier Fialho, you really want to be working his body to, to cut into that cardio or kick, throwing leg kicks, you know, to slow down his movement. You know, that's where Chaos Williams had a lot of success. Yeah. Um, and, and that's also where Santiago Ponzinibbio had a lot of success, you know, working the full range of the body to, to fully, you know, get attrition and, and slow down Baeza because it's not like Baeza is getting knocked out round one. You see him and his resolve against Matt Brown. He gets the mouthpiece knocked out. You know, he's a little bit on skates, but, you know, he's fully aware and, and ends up, you know, persevering with the round two knockout there. And you can't discount Matt Brown's power. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day here, Fialio, I just don't think he's diverse enough in what he throws to get that early knockout that, you know, I feel that he needs, but, um, you know, ultimately I, I, I keep on thinking, you know, Baeza has shown us that he will, you know, leave that chin up in the air and get checked to get a countered. Bit. And this guy so, is a masterful counter striker uh, is the yeah. problem. It, it's so, so yeah. I'm really not, I'm really not coming away with, with the big play on Baeza, but that's the side I lean to more yeah. often than not. Uh, Kelton, yeah, right. The wrong steer the ship, bud. Man, so I remember watching Andre Filao in the Bellator undercard like six years ago, and he was just out there starching these regional level dudes. And I'm like, yo, this guy's scary. This guy's got a future. And then he hit like a really bad rough patch. He lost like three or four out of his next six fights or something like that. And then he went on a recent resurgence, got a call up to the UFC, had a really, really tough debut matchup against Michelle Pajaya. Um but it's nice to see things come full circle because I thought like for a second there, oh, I was wrong about Andre Filao. This guy's going nowhere. And then just like one nice resurgence and you're back in there. You're fighting in the biggest organization in the world. So 
it, it's nice to see him in the UFC. Now, when it comes to this matchup, though, I, I think he's pretty outmatched skill-wise. And, like, I would have a bet on Baeza if it wasn't for one thing. And that's my concern about his not just like his durability in general, it's just like his willingness to brawl when he doesn't need to. So it's like, it's not even just a chin thing. It's it's a fight IQ thing. So mm-hmm. I can't in good faith bet Baeza here at that minus 170 number. If it was wow. like minus 140, something like that, maybe. But I, I just got too many concerns. I mean, a guy with durability and fight IQ issues versus a guy who hits fucking hard and is scary. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, th- this is a good fight to pass on. I just kind of want to see what happens. And on the side, if you want to bet Fialo, um, I feel like the way to do it is just to take the knockout prop. Um, for me, though, it's just like I, I found long term, it's not a very good idea to bet on fighters banking on the KO when that might be their only path to victory. So, yeah, yeah it- it's an easy pass for me. I'm excited to see what happens. Though. I'm a fan of both guys. No, it definitely seems interesting. And when you talk about that run, which is interesting, on that run, he had a loss to Chris Curtis in the PFL, which is interesting. And then his run that was good, right? He knocks James Vick out of MMA, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Then, uh, And then, you know, he beats uh, Stefan Seklovich as well, who was like, we saw somehow make it to the UFC and was, uh, I believe, promptly kicked right back out. Um, so, you know, you're right, suspect competition, but I, again, I think you highlighted it perfectly as we kind of were beating around the bush a little bit in terms of it's a little sketchy, man. Baez is a little sketchy. So, uh, was there, was there any prop? Is there any is there any way to slice this pie? The degenerate in me wants to find something. Nothing. Yes, it's um for for me at least like this is one of those spots where like if Baez is gonna win, it's gonna be by breaking down Fialio. So overall, like I don't foresee an early knockout for him give me you know that that parlay that we love so much on DraftKings. let's go miguel baeza and over one and a half plus 130 okay hmm what's the plus 130 yeah I, I from a minus 170 to you know if you think fialio is going to have his most success early and someone like baeza that's going to be chopping him down with the leg kicks you know kind of working from the outside moving around a little bit you know, he can even mix in a little bit of that grappling if he wants to. I think he's going to have the advantage there, too, especially, you know, you see Baezzi, he starts to wear, uh, uh, you see Fialio start to wear down from the body kicks and the leg kicks of Pajeda because he's winning those boxing exchanges early. But then, yeah, I, I think if anything, if you want to, you know, like spice it up a little, if you're on that Baeza side, that plus 130 to get it parlayed with the over one and a half, that, that's where I'm at. I like that. Yeah, that is. But the interesting thing, though, is again, because I was thinking about that, too, on some level, when you look at Baez's thing now, he's got all these finishes early. I don't know. I guess he went to the not in the UFC, right? Not in the UFC. I mean, he's got one. I mean, his two of his fights have ended by finish in the UFC. Only one went the distance with But Matt Brown was in the second round. And and that's a that's true. More drown out. Oh, I forgot about. I was missing Hector Aldana. I don't know why I missed that. I thought I thought he debuted against Sato. I made that mistake too. Well, so what about this though? What if we went decision only, Miguel Baez? It's the same price as moneyline minus one seventy five. You just remove a finish from the table. Fajardo is not going to win a decision over him, right? Or, or like Kelton said, are we so concerned about his fight IQ he could drop a decision? So with that bet, if Fiala were to knock him out, it'd be a push, correct? Yes. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same line, minus 175. Yeah. I just wouldn't parlay it because if, no, if you don't have to. getting knocked out, you then your parlay. other parlay leg No, like, you don't have to put it. It's yeah, a money exactly. line. You, if if yeah. you were even considering a play on Baez a money line, right. it's the same odds, and now we can just get rid of finish from the table. Even if Baez right. gets a finish, it's a push, whatever, but we're not expecting that as you kind of were inkling towards with the over one and a half anyway. Right. Well, so that, I kind of like that. Yeah. All right. So we, I mean, we it's came right away with it, a few good ideas there. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes away his best method from him, right? He's basically a finisher for Halio, no? Yeah. So I like that. Cool. All right. That makes sense. Look at that. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. <laughs> the conversation. Uh, listen, make sure you guys are giving a like on the show here. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. I mean. Kelton's you know, we, channel as well. Exactly. Like Kelton. YouTube. Exactly. Twitter. Um, yeah, so uh, Rogue Strummer, thanks for hopping in the chat here too. We always got Daz in there. That's and, my uh, Yeah, Rogue we Strummer. got uh, Myra Bueno <laughs> Silva versus uh, Yanan Wu. This one is um, th- this one's gonna be interesting. I mean, you, you look at the one line. Way you look at the line. It's minus four ninety. Myra Bueno Silva versus Wu Yanan at plus three sixty. I get it. Do you? I do. Really? If I was to say, like, who do I think wins the fight? Right. Like, I would probably lean, like, lean towards the Bueno Silva side, but I don't think I would come away, like, aggressively throwing down on it. I think, you know, Wu, um, she's proven, you know, pretty difficult to finish. Um, She's had, you know, those three decision losses. None of them, you know, one's Gina Mazzani. Mizuki's pretty solid. Jocelyn Edwards, very solid prospect. And, uh, you know, Wu was actually able to win a, f- a few grappling exchanges in that fight. But, um, yeah, I think if anything here, it's just like she's at least got the output edge um, over Silva. And, and I think Silva showed a lot of toughness in the uh, Fioro fight. And that's kind of carrying over here to the line saying like, well, you do the math and you kind of transfer. And it's like, yeah, like she should definitely be Yanan Wu. But minus 490, like am I – are you you're hearing me here guru like uh, no i think i have some water in my ears minus 490 listen we've talked about it on this show all the time and we ran away from it in our in our main event last week or co-main event last week and it, and you pay the price for it you you have to not it's you have to earn it you have to really truly earn it if somebody fights close and that's the way that they fight you can't lay Minus 500 on them, even if you expect them to win, even if you want to, whatever. Myra Buena Silva fights like a zombie, doesn't have very great fight IQ, isn't an excellent fighter by any means, hasn't given you much in her UFC career to be proud of in 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. I did, like. It's amazing that she's still in the UFC. Like They put her up against Fiero specifically because they knew that she'd be like she wasn't just going to buckle over and she would be standing and banging. There'd be absolutely no grappling, which there was none of, <laughs> um, as you can see, she's had whatever it was five, six UFC fights has not even attempted a takedown. So you know what she's going to come in here and do. Um, I kind of see this fight as, um, like a poor man's, um, from the fight from the other week, um, Marina Rodriguez and Yan Jaunan, where it's like, yeah, the favorite is probably going to win, but it's way the line has gotten way crazy and it's going to play out way closer and it's just going to be really weird. And I 
similar to that fight. I don't think I would want a part of it. <laughs> what, what do you guys think? Man, Yan and Wu is just a really hard fighter to gauge like where this fight should be lined. Like if someone wants to say this line's correct, Wu's going to go out there and get whooped. Like I got no problem with that. If someone tells me this fight's going to play out much closer and they want to take a small shot, I don't hate that either. It's just like Yan and Wu skill wise. Let, let's be real. She, she's not very good. However, she's huge for the division and she comes forward. She has volume. She has heart. Yeah, I mean, if she makes this fight close, I can't say I'd be surprised at all. Myra Bueno, she's been iffy for me. I mean, she clearly has the higher ceiling of the two fighters here. Like, she's she's strong. She's got some power. She's got some jits. She's she's got some boxing. Like, she's not bad at all. Like, she she should be the favorite here, one hundred percent. Just a matter of whether or not you think that lines off. And I'm just gonna come. Like, I'm. I'm off this fight. Like this fight's not even in my mind. I'm I'm trying to avoid it at all costs. Like, but if there was any move, like if if someone pointed a gun at me and said, "Make one bet on this fight," I'm taking a small shot on the giant underdog just because, like, we're talking low level women's MMA. So it's a pass for me. But if you want to take a small shot on Wu, I mean, go for it. <laughs> I just you know you just look at the Buena Silva stats there, and I do wonder how if they are skewed too heavily at all from the Furo fight. But, I mean, when you're landing 3.8 and getting landed on at 5.2, and honestly, at the end of the day, Wu, yeah, you know, Wu is, I guess, similar to at, you know, 4.5 uh, landed and 4.8 received, and again, fighting horrible levels of competition. It's Yeah, it's it's impossible to really glean too much. Rogstrom, I don't have it in me to bet Yan Wanu. Yeah, after watching it defeated by Jocelyn Edwards. Yeah, listen, Edwards is, is you know, long, lanky, tough for the division, too, is, has shown some grit on a, a couple short-notice opportunities there. But but you're right. There's there's really not much to glean at all. So I'm I'm kind of happy to have a smoke break on this one. <laughs> Sir. So, yeah, I mean, here we go. Uh, we're into uh, our next fight here. We got Pat Sabatini versus TJ Laramie. Um, I mean, Pat Sabatini's got the two-inch height advantage, a four-inch reach advantage. And I just think, like, you look at the the level of their regional experience, I just really dislike – I mean, this is maybe just me, maybe some other people agree, but TKO, I feel like, doesn't have the best level of opposition. And Pat Sabatini, I mean, CFFC – and this guy's, uh, you know, he's faced some guys with some really, really nice records. And you see Sabatini 31, Laramie 24, Sabatini, the black belt in jujitsu. Um, he's got the high school wrestling. He was in the Combat Sambo World Cup. He got a silver medal. Um, I mean, this guy's got credentials all around the board. And when you see him on the mat, you just see how comfortable he is in any position and really what he's able to do. I mean, the one thing you notice so far in the UFC, the Jamal Emmer's fight, he does get clipped pretty badly, but it's nice to see him recover. It's nice to see him, you know, show the perseverance to, to fight to the positions that he's most comfortable in, you know, getting from being mounted fully to, you know, starting to get into an entanglement and get that leg lock game going. Whoa, I mean, Jaden will. Oh, no. Entanglement. Oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> but. Listen, this is where the Keep minus... my wife's name out your fucking mouth. The anyway. guru is carrying away. <laughs> <laughs> but we got uh 
I mean, this is this is one of those ones where I sit here and I go, okay, this line makes a lot more sense. I know we missed a lot of movement, but Sabatini minus four ninety, TJ Laramie at plus four plus three sixty. I'm just sitting out here trying to find my perfect parlay piece because Pat Sabatini is going to be in it. Guru, uh, you feeling it? Listen, I'm not just feeling Pat Sabatini because he's a former CFFC fighter and we're going to CFFC 107 this weekend. Can't super excited about it. But seriously, I've been I've really enjoyed watching uh, Pat Sabatini's tape since, you know, watching him come to the UFC, watching those old CFFC fights, watching him get his experience and get up there, man, his he shows um, incredible explosiveness. Um, I know we, we it's MMA, right? We talk about jujitsu a lot. This guy's really, really, really good at jujitsu, like really good guys. And, you know, that fight with Jamal Emers, yeah, he gets clipped. But one thing we can say about Jamal Emers is that he's fucking really good too, man. He's a top prospect in the UFC, one of those up-and-comers, somebody I'm very excited to see whenever he does get to make his return. Pretty sure his knee got literally <laughs> like detached from his leg after uh, Pat Sabatini took it home with him. Um and then you look at the other side of who he's fighting, and you know TJ Laramie. To me, all all roads lead back to his grappling. Um, you know, lead to him trying to shoot for a takedown, try to impose his will. Right? He's not trying to kickbox. You know, he's not some stand and bang guy. It's not really his thing. Um, you kind of watch him go into danger with Derek Minner, right, and not survive that, getting submitted round one very very quickly in his UFC debut. Um, you know, that was his first submission loss. He's got two round one KO losses to the same guy, Alex Morgan. Um, I don't know who Alex Morgan is, but shout out him for knocking that guy out twice. And he's got a loss to uh, a, a name that seems to rear his head a lot, Vince Murdoch, the, the tough fighter. And, uh, you know, somebody that has was not able to make his stamp into the UFC because, quite honestly, nice guy, just not really good enough to make it. So um, he does have a win over Charles Jordan, too. What is happening? <laughs> what am I looking at? That's really crazy. So he's got a little bit of an up and down. That's his best win, obviously. Charles Jordan, one of those guys that kind of, you know, will will choke or, or uh, put himself in a bad position for sure. So it's actually not the most surprising thing ever. At the end of the day, I've spoken too much because I think Pat Sabatini gets a quick sub. What do you think there, Kellen? Yeah, with that uh, TJ Laramie-Jordan fight, they were both like 19, 20, or 21 years old in that fight. When you're that young, the the range of outcomes is so wide. So, like, I, I don't even like to look into fights, uh, you know, that early in guys' careers. But anyway, I'm all aboard the Sabatini train here. I have him parlayed with somebody down earlier in the card in the prelims. I mean, you nailed it. You made a lot of good points. There's a lot of grappling in TJ Laramie's game, and that's that's Sabatini's bread and butter. Um, one thing I'll say, I will be the first person to say how good of a job the matchmakers do in the UFC. Horrible job with this one. I don't know what – what are you guys thinking? You're giving this 24-year-old kid, and, I mean, geez, they need Canadian prospects. They take this 24-year-old kid who's coming off a – quick insta loss sub loss to Derek Minner and you're putting him up against this beast in his prime who's an even better like what are they thinking here I mean I gotta think they don't like TJ Laramie for some reason like I don't get it at all this is not how you build a 24 year old up um yeah I got Sabatini here I even think this if there was ever a fight for Sabatini to show off some possible improved striking 
this would probably be that fight yes. as well. Like he he's he's minus five hundred here for a reason. Um, yeah, actually, now he's got, minus five hundred makes me sick. Yeah, I so I got crazy. in at a uh, minus three sixty five, so that was nice. a little better. Um, I think it's gonna continue to get steamed. Like, yeah, I, it's hard to see a path to victory for TJ. Like, he's a compact guy. He's explosive, so you know he does hit hard. Y'all mentioned uh, Sabatini's been tagged before. So I guess if there were to be a path to victory for Laramie, I guess it's to hurt Sabatini standing. But like, again, it's like a level of competition thing. Uh, I completely agree with you. Jamal Emmers is a very good fighter. I don't see, you know, I don't cut a whole lot of slack for a guy for getting uh, knocked down by Jamal Emmers. Um, Jamal Emmers is a good ass fighter, man. He went to a split decision with Giga Chikadze. Um I like Jamal. I think he's going to, you know, he's got like 25 fights. He's a very good fighter. This is completely different uh, matchup here. Uh, Sabatini rolls. I'll say first round sub. Plus yeah, 75 for the exciting. sub compared to plus yep. 120 decision. I like that sub number. That is very exciting. We probably have to play that. I, I'm so bummed that we missed out on that parlay line. But let's see, guys. You know, we uh, if you listen to the show, if long time follow the show, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, sorry to be those jerks that like you know got down on the line movement. Guess what? I, I'm not that guy this week. So now, uh, you know, Kelton Kelton's the guy on the hot seat. Good job, Kelton. And you know, now I'm and I'm we're not. So it's not always fun to be on the outside, guys. So just uh, you know, I I'm I always going to remember this feeling and uh, you know look to be better for next week for sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. So that brings us to our late okay. replacement matchup. We got Munir Lazez. We got Terrence in Guru's lap versus Angelosa. Um, th- this one, I mean, thrown together last second. Angelosa just fought what XFC four, uh, like what a, a, a couple week, a couple two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. That's, um, and that was a great card too. Such a fun little YouTube yeah. card to watch there. Shout out XMMA for doing that. I wish more promotions did that kind of stuff. Really, yeah. really awesome. I mean, super legit. And and you got Lizez at like a minus 215 and, and Losa's coming back right now. You know, it's up on FanDuel, but not DraftKings yet. You got Losa plus 172. You know, what stands out is the size advantage for Lizez. He's a little bit of a trimmer guy. Gets knocked, knocked out from body shots last time. You know, does Losa have that all-around game plan, or can he instill his wrestling? I'm curious where his cardio is at right now. I'm curious, um, you know, yeah. if this is just like a welcome to the big leagues, buddy, type of moment. But um, yeah, Lazez, you know, after that high of highs, you know, beating Abdul Razak Al Hassan, you know, to go to that low of lows, you know, body shot KO to Warley Alves when you're a minus two fifty favorite. You know, those things stick out a little bit. So here we are back in minus 215 now against the late replacement Angeloso, who, I mean, he showed some type of toughness and durability sitting in there with Jack Della Maddalena. And, yeah, I mean, listen, Losa, he's got combos of his own. He does work to the body a bit. Coming out of Sanford, he's one of those guys that's really, like, calmed down his game a little bit, a little bit more technical now. And, you know, I, can, can we take him uh, Can we take him in this spot? I, I mean – I just don't, I don't love the Lizez side, you know, so much. Just, you know, it seemed like the pressure got to him in his last time out. You know, does Losa kind of put on that pressure here? I just have a tough time trusting the guy off that two-week notice, um, making his debut, bigger opponent. Um, I just don't love it either way. Guru, you loving anything here? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Like, it's not happening. I just paid minus 200 from an near Lizez. In a big in a spot for like kind of no reason, and he's unheralded, and he got knocked out. 
Like, am I just bitten by the dog? Am I being salty? Maybe Kelton will tell me I am, but I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not doing it here. It's not happening. He hasn't fought in a year. Like he's had two books, right? He was supposed to fight. Um, I he, listen. I guess he's trying. Was supposed to get a tough, kind of a tougher matchup in Alucia Alessio de Santos with his capoeira style, but we haven't seen de Santos in a long time either, right? So. That was kind of maybe where that fight made a little bit more sense, right? Yeah, we hadn't seen him since that crazy Benoit Saint Denis fight, yeah. where that guy, where that fight somehow went the distance. I forgot <laughs> about that fight. That was sick, right? So we haven't seen him since then. That feels like a forever ago. So you know that kind of fight maybe makes a little bit more sense. I I, I don't. I just think Angelusa Angelusa is, is is too explosive. He's just it's just too dangerous. To me, he, maybe it's just the size thing. I, I don't know. I, maybe it's because I just saw him get hurt to the body. But the dude's powerful. He looked good in, like, he did get 30-27 by Jack Delamena, but he, Delamandalena, but he had, you know, a couple minutes of control time to in, to end each of those rounds, two and three. You know, he shows some, he shows to me uh, that with that UFC level, ish like he's gonna he's gonna show whether he belongs here or not he's certainly got his chance so um i actually think that you know lizez you know is probably like like we just saw in the comments there thank you for saying that 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 lizez is probably a little bit overpriced here for for whatever reason so yeah rogue strummer thanks thanks bro so uh kelton what do you think bub yeah uh new fight so i haven't had like a whole lot of time to process it but i mean i could talk about what i've seen on tape and maybe Please. i can come with a conclusion there um with angelusa first thing i'll say zero shame in losing to jack della madalena if yeah. anything i'll raise the kid's stock for going the whole 15 minutes with jack della madalena he showed uh some good durability there and that's probably a good thing to have against munier lezez who is a very dynamic striker um has a lot of good knockouts on the regional scene Man, it's just like it, it's a dramatically different matchup, man. I was picking Zaleski to just like give this kid a tour of the octagon, but mm -hmm. now, I mean, he's got a. Let's be honest, this is a favorable matchup. Like I like Angelusa. He trains at a good gym in Sanford MMA. Mm -hmm. Um, he bounced back from the Madalena fight with a win over a UFC vet and John Howard, but yeah. I just think he's he he's a little too green in my eyes still, especially on the feet. Um. And the John Howard fight, it was like it was a wrestling show. Uh, he was pretty much able to take John Howard down at will. I don't think that's going to be quite so easy with Lazez. Uh, Lazez is just going to be giving him so much to think about on the feet. And r really, here it's just like, yeah, Angelusa, he's explosive. He's you know he's a compact dude, but like there, there's not a lot of combinations. There's not a lot of smart striking. It's, right. It, it's a it's it's very uh reminiscent of uh impa kasanganai like mm. it, it's an explosive guy but like it's just like one kind of one punch at a time not a lot of like it's just lazes yeah. is going to be throwing all kinds of shit at him the kicks the punches good combos like he's the way more dynamic striker here. so i kind of feel like angelusa does need to get those takedowns going to win this fight and I don't think he's going to be able to. I think he's going to learn a lesson here. Mune Lazez probably gets back on track. Am I crazy to go out and jump on the minus whatever, minus 190, whatever he sits at? No, not really. 15 on Fandle. Yeah, I mean, that's he, he's got too many defensive flaws, and who knows how he's going to come back after. 
I mean, let's be honest. He got embarrassed against Worley Alves. He had a lot of hype coming into that fight and just got blown out of the water. Uh, and one more thing I want to say about Munier Lizez, we call him a prospect, but the guy's actually almost 35 years old. So like how much of a prospect is he really? Mm, yeah. um, long story short, I'm not willing to lay it on Lizez, but I do think he gets back on track. Any props? I don't think there are any available yet, but like my thought maybe is like taking a stab on the fight to go the distance as long as I like the not- over. I like over, yeah. as long both, as both guys are durable. I mean, aside from that last fight against Worley, but like Worley's a hell on wheels. I don't think on Angelusa is anyway. He had near such a chip on his shoulder in that fight. Yeah. He was so pissed off. Yeah, I will say it was weird, like to see consecutively how quick he threw those three liver shots, uh, with, with like just roundhouse kicks to the body. Like you never see anybody land that many in a row that quickly. So I to could the see same where spot, like basically. the knockout did happen, but like. That also shows the defensive deficiency. How do you not pick up on that after the second one? <laughs> like, do, like, do you move a little bit? Drop it's your like hands. Like the Cowboy Cerrone like... shoulder strikes. Like, yeah. Oh, hello, <laughs> oh, Mr. Team Cerrone out here. Team. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Team Cerrone. Uh, but yeah. Right, so ultimately, um, yeah, I don't think any of us are rushing to the money line window. But yeah, the over. Let's take a look. Look at what they actually line that as. So, I, I don't um, think they have it. Fair enough. So that'll bring us to our <laughs> next fight. We got uh, Devin uh, Brown Bear Clark versus uh, William Knight. Um, the Nightmare. What a weird fucking fight. Known as Dan Tom, as Thick Willie. Um, Thick Willie style. We, we got it ready to go Tom. here. I mean, this one's a heavyweight fight, right? Because yeah, I know like, stats they listed it light heavyweight, but I thought I saw I've, it get reported I really as heavyweight. See, I really want to see William Knight miss weight somehow. That made me so happy. <laughs> that made me so happy. Two eighty six, uh, William Knight. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I feel like when we've seen William Knight really have his most trouble is when he's had like a distinct size disadvantage. Like uh, Dong Jung looked like he was like you know the the middle school bully that's in like eighth grade, and William Knight was like you know the thick like sixth grader that had to get you know up about that from personal stuff. experience, don't you? <laughs> 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 and then, but then you see the same thing happen. Hashtag triggered. <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, we, we see the same thing come back and happen with uh, William Knight in his last fight versus Maxim Gershon just getting like big brother, you know, like he's given up a lot of size, even with missing all the weight, just like making up that much of a height and reach advantage when like you don't really have the most like well-defined combinations and everything like that. It's just like, you know, luckily enough, you're, you're standing across from Devin Clark and, you know what's what's his uh what's his go-to well he's uh 22 of 63 on takedowns in 12 ufc fights that's 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 a lot of volume 2.51 per 15 he's landing them at 35 percent. but like william knight um you know as much as devin clark likes wrestling he's got 38 percent control but he's been controlled 27 percent of the time himself that's the william knight recipe right there um mm-hmm. And he's not giving up as much size as he has in some other fights. I, I do think Clark, you know, he's got the ultimate uh, cheerleader in his corner. So if there's <laughs> anyone that, uh, you yeah. know, brings him along, uh, you know, it would be that. But, yeah, I mean, you saw a higher level wrestler and he won Kutelaba just, I mean, that's one of the highest level wrestlers there are when his gas tanks, right? But, I mean, William Knight, I don't know. Like, I think he probably presents more of a danger on the feet than Devin Clark does. So I, w- I would give him I would give him it from distance, and then you know if they start initiate the wrestling, like I I don't want to count out William Knight as someone that can you know, just make it really tough to be held down. He's going to try and reverse you, know, and if he gets into top control, I mean it's 
it's not going to look good for Devin Clark. I, I feel myself leaning towards the William Knight side here, but does, I also does, like does that. Does that say what I think it says? Does that say forty-one percent of his fight time is spent with an opponent in control position? Yeah, is that what that says. Forty-one percent. That's forty-one percent. Uh, not, not ideal. Forty-one percent. How do you still have a job? You're spending forty one percent. What are you the other sixty percent of the time? That means he's literally sleeping the guy. Like you need the knockouts, otherwise you don't have any wins. He's got sixteen percent control time. You know he's doing his best out here. That's crazy. <laughs> That's I don't I don't know if you've we've seen anybody with opponent control numbers that high. That Jung fight was not friendly, and and he definitely also has been, uh, you know, held down a little bit here or there. But you know. Like but to your point, to your point, is Devin Clark holding him on the fence? Right, right, right. Is but to your point, is Devin Clark while he's a good wrestler, is he so so technical? Is he so so strong? Is he have such great cardio? Is he uh, gonna hurt him on the feet and keep him down? Like what is it that Devin Clark does that is gonna stop this fucking mammoth? And uh, I don't know. You're maybe talking me into it because I I don't know. I I really truly don't have much intelligent to add on this fight. I've well, never I'm, really had a good read on William Knight. I'm just confused. Minus 170 Devin Clark and plus 150 William Knight. Like I'm Well, that's I, interesting. That's where that's where I'm kind of like, all right. Like if, if this was line pick them, like I, I guess mean, that's right, to, to your point. That's kind of closer to where I line it, I guess. But Maybe like, closer yeah, to pick I, I feel like William Knight, you know, is like a solid, you know, okay, maybe give him like, this like a little yeah. 40%, you know, something yeah, like that. Kelton, like, what, do you have a strong feeling here? Uh, No, I mean, my feeling is that the line is about accurate. I feel like mm. Devin Clark does deserve to be the favorite here. I think um, it. this is similar to the Baeza fight in the sense that I think we have one guy that's really scared, uh, more skilled, but I'm very concerned about his chances mm. of getting knocked out here. I think that is William Knight's path to victory is to, Land that big shot. We have seen Clark knocked out before. Not only that, uh, I don't know if y'all have seen the pictures of uh, Devin Clark's teeth after yeah. that oh lava fight. One of the most like vicious, gruesome injuries I've, I've ever seen. Vicious. Like, who knows how he comes back after that? Is he going to be able to take a shot to the chin the same? Who knows? These are all questions. But when it comes down to it, Devin Clark has the way better wrestling. Uh, I just feel like that's kind of obvious watching tape and he should be able to grind this one out even standing like, yeah, you don't want to stand with William Knight because he's going to be throwing bombs at you. But like, he's even the more technical striker here, like 100% he deserves to be the favorite. I'm just not crazy about laying the price on him because I mean, early on William Knight's going to be hell on wheels. He probably will have the, the energy to stuff the early takedowns and He's gonna be throwing heat. I know he wants to come back with a win too, because it's you know it's been a it's been a tough stretch for William Knight. He probably uh, has a chip on his shoulder after missing weight and not looking great in his last one. So uh, I kind this is one where I kind of want to see uh, weigh-ins before I make a super confident pick. But like one thing I'll say, uh, I, I've been making some DraftKings lineups and picking underdogs for this card. William Knight's got that knockout ceiling. So, like, from a, I don't know if y'all play DraftKings, but like, man, for me, I think Knight's a good DraftKings play. But, yeah. uh, interesting. Clark like will be that. my pick. Well, that's a, that's super interesting. He probably can get it done. I, I just think when you look at that line, uh, um, William Knight by KO at plus 350, like, I'm rubbing my eyes. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's kind of, that's steep. And then if you can get William Knight at plus 150 money line, or you can get him, 
plus 165 KO or decision. That's basically the same thing. So you kind of get an extra 15 cents because he's not going to submit Clark, right? That doesn't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> so, see that necessarily in the cards. Yeah. So that's that's fair. But you're probably, it's, that's a weird, weird fight. That's yeah. a weird fight. Yeah. Uh, brings us right along to another one crazy, of those, uh, weird fight. Yeah. Um, this is why we got you, Kelton, because this card, man, this is like Landmine City. <laughs> we got, hey, uh, I can hype this one up if y'all want. <laughs> no, no, listen. Well, honestly, I'm excited to see Lena Landsberg back. You know, she was old the last time we saw her. Now it's been two years, so she's 40 years old, and she's talented. And Penny Kianzad, right, who's coming off a tough loss, but um, you know, one of the top, one of the better prospects in the UFC, right? You know, that tough loss against Raquel Pennington, but you know, before that, had beaten. You know, was it a four fight win streak? So definitely really, really interesting to see how this fight kind of shakes out. Yeah, I mean Lena Landsberg right now is a gigantic underdog. Uh, Penny Cans at minus four ten to Lena Landsberg plus three ten. I mean, sure. I mean Penny Cans at last fight, Raquel Pennington, that's a tough matchup. And you know, I, I she actually held her own, you know, early on. Uh Pennington sets her pace and pulls away, but you know, her loss is also coming to Julia Avila. She's got that Chasson sub loss. Um, you know, Kansas has definitely been in a lot of tough, close fights. Like Alexis Davis, if she implements a little bit more of that wrestling. Or I, I mean, even on the feet, I mean, Davis was keeping it a little bit too close for my liking. Um, you know, her other wins over Sarge Banks, Betch Cahaya, Jessica Rose Clark. I mean, all solid. She's got good boxing. She's, you know, decent there. But, I mean, she could definitely be kind of like bullied a little bit around in the clinch. and. And, uh, you know, end up in some bad positions on bottom. It's just, is Lena Landsberg going to be that person hmm. landing five out of 15 total takedowns over eight fights? So she's going to shoot a couple takedowns here. She does have 30% control rate, but she's given up 46%. So, bam, there you go. Like, like there's your counter to William Knight. We found someone <laughs> with a worse opponent control percentage <laughs> right in our next fight here, which honestly, those are like two of the worst numbers I've ever seen. Right. Um, so, but is Penny Kianza at a 12% control? Is, is that going to be her game plan? No, she gives up 38% control of her own. So it's like Lena right. Landsberg, clinch city. Is, is that is that what's going to happen here? Or is she going to shoot for a takedown or two and get a little bit of that control? Because like, you know, it's 6.5 minutes of control per takedown. That's, you know, that, that means that she's getting a lot of it in the clinch too, because uh, you, you can't land over five minutes of control on a single takedown. That's just not how math works. <laughs> rounds and everything. So it's like, there, that means that she's doing a lot of work in the clinch. And then, and then you go and you see, and like, yeah, I, I mean, both of them land pretty decently in the clinch. So I do see this fight taking place in there a lot. I see it being really greasy and I see it being close and tough to judge. So it's like, if you're sitting on a Lena Landsberg ticket and it goes to a decision you're like, all right, like maybe we got something, but there's also the vast possibility that Kianza just boxes her up from distance and like finally wins a, a clear decision. So like, yeah, I, I just don't know I, where I Lena Landsberg is with her output at all. I don't know where she is with her output. I don't know where she is with her training camp. I don't know where she is mentally. You know, I, I you have to go out there and, and outwork this young, this girl that's 10 years younger than her essentially in your prime and, you know, has a reach advantage. So I know some like for me a lot of women's MMA that those physical tools tend to really mean a lot more. Kelton, did you see anything different, bud? Man, 
so I don't know if you guys know this. It's really cool. So Lena Landsberg, she actually made her pro debut when she was 30 years old, same age that Penny Kianzad is now. And the person wow. that Lena Landsberg made her pro MMA debut against with, was with a 20, Kian, was yeah. a 20 year old Penny Kianzad. I see that there now on wow. Trophy MMA, 20, Trophy MMA in 2012. That's so, yeah. so funny. Yeah, they're both Swedish. They came up in the same, um, huh. you know, fight scene. So it, it's very, very cool to see this one uh, come around ten, so ten years later. Here they are facing off. Kianzad did win that first meeting, and um, I'm picking her to win again, man. And I actually think she's paid her dues to the point where she deserves this big price tag here against a, yeah, a forty-year-old who's coming back after a, a nice little layoff. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Panny, like she's in the she's in the form of her career. Let's be real here. Like I, I thought, all her wins were pretty nice performances. Uh, with the Raquel Pennington one, like y'all know, Raquel Pennington has only lost to world champions, right? <laughs> Literally, wish you would have reminded me last week before I put stupid money on Aspen Lad that fucking <laughs> corn fed scrub. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, man, I, I feel like Penny Kanzad at this point. She's she's the better boxer. She's the better wrestler, and I, I kind of feel like she wins this fight wherever it goes. Like yeah, I know Lena's the the clinch queen, and she, that's probably where she does have success if she does have success here. But uh, I got Penny. I got the younger fighter and her prime. It's gonna come full circle. She's gonna beat Lena Landsberg in Lena's pro debut. And I think she puts Lena Landsberg into retirement. Wow. Wow. Full circle. Circle of life. Yep. <laughs> I honestly, I did. I kind of liked, I liked Panny Cowens as well. Just from what you've seen from her on the tape, she should be better. Yeah. Everywhere. No, I'm not, I'm not dying to go out there and lay minus 450 on Panny, but I think she deserves yeah. that line. That's, yeah. that's fair. I think it's that gut feel like, I'm so scared to to lay someone at that press. I'm doing it on Pat Sabatini, so sack up, young man. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I sack just, up, I, young man. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but nah, I play devil's advocate a little bit, but yeah, Penny Kansas should be the winner in this fight. Uh, so next one here, we got uh, our our buddy Rafa Garcia coming off of his first UFC win versus uh, Jesse Ronson. Coming off a nice little suspension. A uh, nice little, a nice big ass suspension. Twenty months for um, uh, steroids against yep. uh, using a young Nicholas Dalby. That fight, I barely even remembered that fight. He like cl- he clobbered that fool. Like like that was close, <laughs> going close, going close. All of a sudden, steroid punch B, and he's like, oh, and he just like spazzed out and went to sleep. I was like, oh my god. Only knockdown in his UFC career. Yeah, and then it was like actually he ended up submitting him. It like so it it was a choke out, but like (laughs) he was knocked out, and then the refs like keep going, keep going, it's fine. (laughs) Then he choked him out. But Jesse Ronson, man, is like is that guy in that respect? Like he likes to grapple, but he also legitimately has fight changing power. Like you know we we talk about power punching, four ounce clubs in MMA all the time. But this guy really, really does have fight changing power. And you really you've seen it in multiple fights. Um, you see him scramble in reverse positions. Um, you know, you see him get sub wins. I mean, he's uh he's a he's a a handful to deal with. Um scrappy is is really kind of the word. And uh Rafa Garcia, I guess, is kind of fairly scrappy too when you kind of break down to it. But the thing you saw with Rafa Garcia, especially in that Grootsmacher fight, right, is like 
does he fade? What's what's his deal? So, you know, kind of kind of an interesting fight. I I especially with where the line is, I thought it was pretty fair in terms I think maybe they're disrespecting Rafa a little bit just because again, Jesse hasn't fought in a while. So that fight's kind of at even money and I again, I think I was talking to Kelton offline about it and uh I think if I hate to steal that out of your mouth, but I think if Garcia dips to uh dips to some dog price, you, you kind of have to take a shot on it because he's he's the more active guy. So even though the, this is totally painted red in the stat department here, I, I think that Garcia has a decent chance in that. Jesus Christ, look at that. Yeah, Three I think point, a lot of that comes from the past. strike landed to 5.4 absorbed for Rafa. That's brutal. What were you going to say, TB? Well, I think a lot of that comes from the his debut fight against Nasrat. I mean, right. we, we give him a little credit for, you know, walking him down. stuff. I mean, the dude was also getting pieced up. He was. Uh, but, yeah, he, he showed the, the, the durability. And then gigantic favorite over Grootsmacher and kind of drops the ball there off of, you know, I mean, Grootsmacher grits. You know, I mean, dude's gritty. He grinds it out. He puts together, like, a, a real high-pressure, high-volume approach. And, yeah, like, Garcia wasn't loving it. Then he gets that green debutante and not on Levy. Right, not hey, really the best grappler. He's no, kind of the grinds striker. Yeah, grinds him out. So you, you look at the stats of Garcia. Overall, twelve of twenty-seven on takedowns over three UFC fights. So it's not just the Nathan Levy fight. We saw him land takedowns on Chris mm. It was just he couldn't do much because he was going to attack off his back there. So Jesse Ronson, he's going to bring that same type of idea, right? But he's also been controlled thirty-eight percent of the time. I mean, well, there's a reason why Ronson's lost. What, what is it? Uh, when you're, you're taking your decisions in his career. Well, that's interesting because you're taking his first UFC stint where he had three straight split decision losses, right? One of which to Kevin Lee. That yep. is fair. And then Trinaldo so those UFC and stats are, Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So I those see, stats are a little So the stats, not that they aren't misleading. They're just... um. They're just from, like they're they're just from over there's first UFC stand. It's kind of tough. Uh, that's true. I'll give you that. So without leaning on the stats, I mean, yeah, I, I do think uh, I do think that if uh, Garcia is able to, um, you know, kind of use his pressure in wrestling, it would be great. But it's tough to trust that gas tank. So um, yeah. Ronson is going to be live here the entire time. Yeah. Kelton, what, what are you too. thinking, man? So usually there's certain spots where like, I feel like I just have to bet things on principle. And one of those things is there, well, there's two things in this fight. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'll tell you right now, when a guy has a nine year or more age difference, usually that person wins more often than not that. And the fact that an older guy coming off a steroid suspension <laughs> usually happens to not work out mm. now there's been tons of cases where like younger fighters they'll, they'll pop mm. for something they'll come back they'll look great but like when you see the older guy take a steroid sus a suspension like usually it doesn't it doesn't work out in the future and you know m maybe those steroids are what gave him that resurgence in the pfl man i don't know how much y'all watched of his uh, uh P pfl <laughs> career but he uh, jacked yeah, yeah, he 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 looks good. He, he, <laughs> he looks good. Though. He looked good. He like, looked really good. <laughs> but like even even in the PFL, like I'll point out to the Natan Schultz fight. Uh, yeah, shout out to him. He's a good fighter in the Great PFL. Fighter. Could could easily be in the UFC. Um, he controlled Bronson pretty well in that fight. Like he, you know, he did what I think Hoffa should do here in like heavy wrestling approach. Like Schultz. I mean, he did a great job with it. Ronson slowed down. It was pretty much like after the first round, 
it was um i don't want to say easy going but like there there wasn't much resistance like i know people will point out that uh hoffa has slowed down but ronson has slowed down too and who knows how uh that cardio will look off the steroids so it's like i'm very interested in hoffa especially if it happens to hit plus money like guys i get it he lost a gritsmacher but let let's be real gritsmacher is an awkward matchup like the dude is thick as hell he punches hard he's physically strong as shit like he's awkward if you're a young fighter with not that much experience he's he's not going to be like some kind of rollover i know he was for alex hernandez but that's like a completely different matchup <laughs> plus that that alex hernandez fight gritsmacher was off for like three years too so yeah, like right mm -hmm. got his feet back in the water looked good against hoffa and you know who else bounced back hoffa he got back in the win column as well he got the confidence back so I'm going to take the fighter with the nine-year age advantage. I'm going to take the fighter who's not coming off a steroid suspension. Give me Hoffa Garcia by decision via wrestling. Yeah, I, I just, I honestly, when I saw the line, I, I thought it was like, I thought it was a little disrespectful to, to Hoffa. I, I kind of thought it'd be like minus 150 to plus 125 kind of thing, like close. But to see it pick him is um, very strange to me. Yeah, I just felt... I feel a lot more comfortable with my my leaning of Garcia minus one ten now with that breakdown. Kelton bringing the heat. Dude, listen, this, that's why we, that's why we recruited this man. We, need, man we needed the we job, needed the let heat. Me tell you. Facts, Let's big go. facts. Make sure you check him out. MMA Kelton on Twitter. MMA Kelton on YouTube. So I'm sure, you guys are already that following. Man a follow. he's a Hop winner. away from our show for a sec. <laughs> if you're not somehow already following Kelton, get back out there because get uh, back out there. Appreciate that, worried. guys. Of course. So while you, you guys are here, hey, make sure you're throwing us a like on this video. Make sure you know you're throwing a little subscribe on our channel here too. We're we're all about bringing you to the conversations, and uh, and Kelton is just you know one of the many great, awesome guests that we've been able to welcome to our show. So very let's fortunate. Keep it rolling here, man. We got Chris Barnett keeping it rolling. Speaking of that, keep on boy. rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> How many times have you done that now? We keep <laughs> on rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> uh, we got a. Uh, Chris Barnett, the Beast Boy versus uh, Martin Budai. This one, I mean, you got Budai making his uh, his debut here. Abudi, Abudai. But uh, oh man, uh, man, Guru man, bringing all, all the throwbacks here. But yeah, listen, <laughs> Barnett. I mean, let's let's put it this way: this dude was going strike for strike with. Uh, Mr. You know, I'm on the way out. John Vellante in his last fight had a meatball sub on the way walking out to the octagon. <laughs> my guy. <laughs> so, like, seriously, like, got Bagul on that great finish. But, like, Budai seems like pretty defensively sound as a striker. He's got a yeah. two inch reach advantage. He's five, six, seven, eight inches taller. <laughs> uh, a real, like, you know, not, not one of those, like, you know, I mean, Barnett is super athletic, but like, Budai, you know, he's got. Uh, a, a lot better trim frame, I would say. A lot more athletic, slimmer looking. So, I mean, he can't pull off those Taekwondo kicks quite as well. But I, I do see some solid boxing and and just, like, patience, the ability to work through the clinch. Um, you know, Budai isn't necessarily one of those guys that I think is ever going to, like, contend for the title or anything like that. I just think if you're, like, a legit heavyweight at, like, USC level and for someone that was fighting at an octagon, like, those are some – those are some real opponents that he was facing out there. And, you know, it, it's nice to see, you know, okay, now he gets his, his UFC debut off of a nice, you know, round one knockout on contender series. 
this is that like one of those contender series guys that I'm not rushing to fade immediately, just you know, kind of based <laughs> off of the matchup. Well, yeah, well, because it, you have to look at the matchup. Sometimes they really are trying to promote these guys, and and you know, yeah. you saw Barnett really struggle against Ben Rothwell. You know, it was on a short notice camp. He gassed out a bit. You know, he dives into a sub there. He gave up. It's a lot easier against you know blown up middleweight John Volante to you know put on a little bit of a show. I just don't. I don't think he has any huge distinct advantage in this fight. And, and Budai is a favorite. I mean, he should be. He should be good. So that's where I'm thinking. Like the minus two twenty, and you parlay that with our buddy Pat Sabatini. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that that could end up being something I play. But it is minus one thirty five. So. We like our plus money around here, you know, Guru and all that. So we'll see. We'll see what we end up doing here. Guru, yeah, listen, you think on this fight? I yeah, I I I think the word you used. I'm not as uh, I'm not as always as observant as you, but what you said so perfectly and was exactly what I picked up on watching. Um, what I saw from Bidet is is he is very defensively sound. He seems like a just a a well rounded, fairly diligent fighter. He's not over aggressive. Doesn't seem to put himself in too bad of positions. Uh, you know, just just seems like a a fairly solid heavyweight prospect. Um, you know, was the number one ranked contender um, in his last promotion, uh, Octagon. Uh, you know, and he was the number one contender fighting the number two contender, and he was a sizable favorite for you know for whatever that means. Um, just you know, seems like a really solid fighter. And what we've seen from Chris Barnett is that he's a very exciting fighter. He's a cool fighter. He, you want to grab a beer with him after your fight kind of fighter. Um, but like, you know, that's kind of it. He had the, 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 the kick of the century versus Gian Vellante, which we were so fortunate enough to go see live. Um, but I, one thing that I think is fairly interesting that TB didn't highlight. So I get to highlight it now is that that fight happened in a 30-foot octagon. This is a much smaller octagon, and that kind of explosive striking style of Chris Barnett where he kind of wants to run around and do that kind of shit is going to be much more difficult in a smaller cage against a bigger fighter in Bidet. So uh, what do you think there, Kelton? Anything different? I dropped the ball on this one, and I'll tell you why. This was actually the first fight I looked into on this card like a month ago. And it was mainly because Chris Barnett is a guy who's very high up on my fade list. So I go into the tape on Boudet and I'll be honest, guys, I, I did not like what I saw at all. I think he's really slow. I don't think he's a good athlete whatsoever. And I actually don't think he's going to pan out in the UFC. So like my thought process was like, I'm not about to lay minus 150 on this guy. Um, ugly tape three weeks out. Like I'm good. I'll revisit it. Fight week comes now. He's minus two fucking 20 and I revisit the fight. I actually watched tape on both guys this time. I rewatched Barnett and Rothwell this similar fight. Cause he's fighting another six foot four guy, man. I think that size is just going to be too much. And Boudet is like a, he's a comparable grappler. Like not only, yeah. not even just with the grappling, like he is a BJJ uh, Brown belt. He's good in the clinch too. So I just kind of feel like he can wear on Barnett and kind of break him down. He did a he did a great job uh, breaking that guy in the clinch on Contender Series. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't think he's like the complete shits everywhere. Like he, he he's a strong dude. He's no he knows what he's doing. I just don't think he's gonna pan out at the highest level in the UFC. But this is a very winnable matchup. And I mean, yeah. you just look at Chris Barnett. He, he's 
I mean, <laughs> he's a fat guy. Let's be real yeah. here. Like it just, don't get me wrong. Boudet's a big boy as well. But like, when you look at Chris Barnett, you're like, yo, this, this guy's in the UFC. Like really what? <laughs> yeah. And then you show him the spinning kick on Volante and they're his biggest fan. But yeah. with that, with that kick on Volante, man, I mean, like I'll say this Volante was a blown up light heavyweight retirement yeah. fight. Like you, you're not going to get that here. Burnett's fighting a young guy in his prime looking to shoot his way up into the rankings. So like, yeah, Boudia should win easily. It's just in the future, be very cautious because yeah, I was going to ask you what, what is your biggest knock? What is your biggest knock takeaway on him? He, just he, the overall game. He's slow, man. And he's slow. not that great of an athlete. I'm not a big fan of the striking either. Like I actually think if you were to have these guys like strike at distance with each other, I'd probably give Barnett the edge there. It's just, right. that's not how this fight's going to play out. Like Boudet is going to close the distance. He's going to push him up. He's going to get him down. Yeah. But like, yeah, he's, he's not good. <laughs> That's good. I like that, man. Thanks for teeing that up. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, another the the weirdest off. fight. This is the craziest fight. If I, I, if anybody really has an unbelievable, like, assertion on this fight, I got a number for you to call. It's 1 800 Gamblers. This fight is so dicey, sketchy, crazy. Everybody was ready to fade Jordan Levitt against Matt Sales because they were like, oh, Matt Sales is just going to grapple him. He's going to take him down. He's going to grapple him. Well, didn't actually happen that way, did it? Or Yeah. I mean, listen, you got Trey coming out of glory. Jordan Levitt out of syndicate. Two extremely heavy grappling camps that, I mean, Levitt, I know he's listed as like a purple belt, but like, you see his overall flexibility and talent. He's definitely a little bit past that, like uh, just in like a skill uh, base. But like it's kind of sketchy when you see him out at distance. Like his accuracy and defense numbers are like pretty solid because of the threat of the takedown. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's actually that he necessarily has like the most diverse, well-rounded striking set. So, you know, Trey Ogden coming in here, I don't think he necessarily does either. We missed a fight. <laughs> The Jakar close fight. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. What did I do? It's okay. We'll we'll finish breaking down this one and go to that <laughs> one. Oh shit. Okay. Uh yeah. So yeah. Uh ultimately Sorry. I just think <laughs> oh no, wow, yeah. The papers got stuck together as I'm flipping through here. Oops. I'll take <laughs> tisk, the blame, tisk. my fellas. Uh yeah, so no, nah, ultimately listen, I, I I lean on the side of guru here saying just like, bro, I, I don't necessarily want to touch this because both guys have plenty of submission wins. You know, Ogden's got a few of those losses on his record. He did take yeah, this on a couple many. weeks' notice. You saw players not get finished, uh, players not get the finish over Jordan Levitt. So, like, the defensive grappling of Levitt it is legit to not get finished, but is it enough to pull out a definitive victory when he loves spending time in opponent yeah. control? So, That's, that is the truth. Trey Ogden plays this that high, um, that high stakes game where he'll get the quick submissions and he'll he'll get the crazy sweeps and he'll get the submission. But you also see him, you know, lose round one submission to Nick Brown. You see him lose two round one submissions to Thomas freaking Gifford, who is like t really not UFC level, like really, really poor. And, um, you know, so those kinds of things are super concerning against somebody like Jordan Leavitt, who we've seen, whether it's the KO slam or like crazy submission wins, like he's just um, more of an ingenuitive fighter. But also at the same time, you watch somebody like Jordan Leavitt not throw enough strikes, uh, be way too comfortable sitting in guard, playing from bottom and just kind of losing minutes, so to speak. 
against, again, a guy in Triogden who's not going to be afraid to go to the ground. So, again, unless you're in these camps, unless you see something, you know something, he's got this special submission move that he's a, a weakness to, I don't, I don't really see how you can discern, like, some real tangible edge here. But, I mean, if anybody can do it, maybe it's Kelton. What do you think, bud? I mean, there's there's definitely big big concerns on both sides. I don't see how you yeah. can be confident picking this fight, but um, I'm gonna be rolling with the underdog for a pick right. here. Yeah. Um, That's what, yeah. Man, so like, first thing I'll say, I see the age right there. I'm a big age gap guy. When there's a big age gap, I always point that out. Six years younger for Jordan Levitt, Trey Ogden. He's been, uh, you know, that's a guy that's been uh, in the regionals for a while now. Now he's finally broke through the UFC. But, like, dude, going back and watching this guy's career. So, like, you mentioned those sub losses and how two of them were to Thomas freaking Gifford, who is not good at all. So, like, the first fight, so this dude will be out striking Thomas Gifford, dive straight into a guillotine. Next fight, he fights Thomas Gifford. Thomas Gifford actually drops him, and then he shoots desperately, and Gifford gets him in that guillotine again. Again. Again, like so quicker I mean, though, quicker, a minute quicker. First time it happened in under two minutes. That's the next time it happened in like just about a minute. And the second time he got dropped too. So like the, the fact that you're you know what's actually you know what's actually the funniest thing ever is in between the two Thomas Gifford guillotine losses is a guillotine win on Canelo. <laughs> that's that's so hilarious. Ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. But like. It's not even just those fights. Like I've seen Trey Ogden put himself in bad positions before. You can even go back to his very last fight. I believe the guy's name was JJ Okonovich. Yes. And he's, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's on the ground and he, he does a great thing to, to reverse it. He's on top, gets reversed, then does a great job to reverse it, get, gets them back on top, then gets the sub and wins the fight. Not only that, it's another example of him winning this fight standing but going for he shoots like right. I like he's clearly winning on the feet and then he shoots. This is multiple times he's done this. Like that's super concerning for this fight because this is a fight where you want him to keep it standing, not go to the ground with Jordan Levitt. And it's right. funny Trey yeah. Ogden is actually a black belt and Jordan Levitt I want to say is either just a purple or a brown belt. But like you can't look too much into those belts. Not all belts are created equal. equal. And I'm I'm confident in saying Jordan Levitt has the better jujitsu here, especially for, I mean, MMA. I mean, Ogden's been subbed a shit ton, man. I mean, that's yeah. highly concerning against a tricky guy in Levitt. Mm-hmm. So although I do see why Ogden is the favorite because he has the striking advantage, I believe Lev- Levitt is super limited by his athleticism. He's not a good athlete at all. So, like, Ogden has all the makings to win this fight if he does it smartly. But, like, going through and doing my research, this guy doesn't fight smart. He engages in grappling even when he's winning on the feet. So, I'm going to say Ogden has success striking, does what he's many what he's done many times before in that shoot, and it's ultimately going to lead to Jordan Levitt comeback sub win, I'll say round two, and... I'm not so much interested in the Levitt money line. It's only like plus 110, plus 120. And like I said, Ooh. I get why he's the dog, but Ooh. I don't have the line available yet. But guys, Jordan Levitt's sub, I see 
sitting out there at like plus 325 in some places. Plus 350 on DraftKings. Let me go uh, smash yeah, a little something on that real quick. Hold yeah, up. I mean, that right there is Jordan Levitt's path to victory. I don't see him winning a decision here. I don't see him knocking Trey Ogden out. It, it's wow. going to be Trey Ogden makes a mistake and Levitt subs him or Trey Ogden wins the decision, in my opinion. So as soon as that line yeah. is available to me, if I get anything near minus or excuse me, plus 325, plus 350, I'm going to take a one or two unit shot on that because wow. I mean, yeah. it's not so often the outcome I'm picking is in the plus 300s, plus so 400. Can, so. can I ask you this? Is it safe to say that I'll leave it KO is like not on the table? No, no way. I mean, the guy's got pillow fists. I believe the only KO win he has is the slam against Matt Wyman, and that's like a yes. one in a million thing. <laughs> so leave it by submission decision plus 140. Again, kind of similar, closer back to that money line, but like with a little bit. Yeah, I, dude, I mean, I, I would just take the shot on the sub just, just with the, the line being so much better. And I don't, I have a hard yeah, time seeing a decision win for Levitt because like he has to have two rounds of success to win a decision and i feel like if he has success in this fight it's going to lead to a sub win inevitably so like i just feel like levitt by sub is the obvious clear play here especially with there being such a discrepancy in the straight line at plus 110 and the sub at plus 325 i feel like that that's almost an obvious prop and if you just take a one or two unit shot on it and it misses it's all good on to the next but if it hits that's a nice one yeah i'm i'm not gonna lie that's uh Again, similarly, it's it's where I ended up on the tape. I kind of felt that leave it at uh, plus money was it was the was the fair side. But um, yeah, I, I get I get sometimes I get a little concerned when you when you start feeling that way against like we like you did point out guys that that have holes that have concerns. But uh, you're right. I, I think at the end of the day, especially the way you break it down, man, it's really awesome having you on. It's awesome to like you know not only get to like. I get to see your work on Twitter, but to, to really hear how you get there um, just makes me even, even more happy that you're on the show, honestly. So thanks again, Of course, man. man. I really. love it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so, hey, let's, really uh, good at their craft. TV is going to circle the wagons here. We lost track of the, a couple of the horses. We, we, we got to go on back <laughs> here. Uh, we got Drucker Close. We got Brandon Jenkins. What we also got is a Drucker Close uh, minus 630. Uh, to Brandon Jenkins plus 450. So there might have been a reason I was like skipping along over this fight, but like, yeah, uh, the return of Drucker close. I mean, he's coming off, um, some pretty coming off actually, Jeremy like, Stevens push, yeah, really Jeremy serious stuff. Uh, the whiplash, like, you know, uh, his, his spine, his discs are out of alignment, like, he's still dealing with the side effects to this day, as he mentioned in the interview to this and, day. <laughs> and, <laughs> Brandon Jenkins at plus 450. You know, what you see is that, um, yeah, he gives up six of eight takedowns to uh, our buddy Rongju. So, you know, we kind of talked about what that really means when we broke down the last fight for Rongju. And, like, oh, man, uh, you know, truck are close here. Uh, ultimately, man, it's – um. Yeah, I, I, I just – I can't touch him at this type of price tag with those type of things. But, like, yeah, sure, I mean – the dude hurt Benil Dariush on the feet. The, the guy has one decision after decision. So, yeah, if anything, I, I would say lean towards the prop of uh, Drucker close by decision. But if Jenkins is going to win, it's going to be inside the distance. I, I'm just not rushing to touch it. Um, yeah, it, it, this is super, super weird. Um, Drucker close, like Drucker close, the wrestler versus Brandon Jenkins, the wet noodle. 
would be fine, except Dracar Close hasn't fought in a year, says that he's still suffering from headaches, injuries, was saying that he was going to retire if, if he needs this, which he may still need the surgery, and he would retire if he needs the surgery. Super, super, super fucking concerning. Um, You know what you need to fucking wrestle? Your back and neck. So I have no idea what he's been training. I have no idea what he feels. I don't know if he's just saying those things and he's having a perfectly fine camp and everything's great. Um, I, Maybe I can do a little IG capping to dig a little bit deeper. Um, minus 600 fucking insane. So I'm not doing it. What I do think is kind of interesting, though, is that Dracar Close is not necessarily a finisher. And, you know, you can get the over two and a half minus 105 or fight to go the distance plus 120. So I think if Dracar Close wins, he's just going to grind him out for 15, which we I think is the more overwhelming thing to do. And, you know, I, I mean, Brandon Jenkins, right? He almost he lost that uh, last fight by finish, right, to Rongzu, but like at the last two minutes, last minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily – I'm not sure that Dracar Close is the same in terms of the striking pressure, like the the – just the the overwhelmingness of that what what do you think kelton yeah so he's actually all the way up to minus 800 in my book oh which my that's just a uh, insane line but like when you actually dig into it is it really in an insane line because brandon jenkins is he's not ufc caliber um tb brought it up he got taken down a bunch of times by wrong zoo he got dropped in that fight as well like it, it just overall wasn't <laughs> wasn't a good uh, appearance there against a fighter and wrong zoo, who is clearly still very green. I mean, that guy's like 21, 22 yeah. years old and dude got whooped. Now, do I want to lay minus 800 on your car close? Absolutely not. Even a couple years ago, I would never lay a line like that on your car close. And now y'all brought it up. Like he, he's still um, possibly suffering from that push. And I mean, that's concerning my, it, I would like to think that, you know, if he's taking this fight, he's going to fight on Saturday, that he's all right. Um, It's just, I don't think he's going to finish the guy. Um, So he fought a dude named Devin Powell years ago. It might have even been his UFC debut. And like that dude was not UFC caliber as well. And everyone and their mom was expecting Jakar Close to go out there and blow that guy out of the water. And he didn't even finish him. So I mean, Jakar Close just isn't a finisher. Some guys aren't, and that's okay. I mean, you can win decisions for a reason, and Jakar Close is a point winner. Like, he's going to be able to wrestle this guy. He's probably even going to be able to outbox him. So, like, unless we just see a significant, significantly declined version of Jakar, he should uh, he should roll here um, unless he gets caught by some crazy shit, but <laughs> I don't see it. Brandon Jenkins is not very good. No, he's not. <laughs> I just, I wish I I mean I wish I could get in like minus three fifty minus four twenty five or so I can't fucking play minus six hundred I know no. at the end of the day after minus three hundred they're kind of like the same line but not really <laughs> well from a percentage standpoint but right. not from a cashing out standpoint that's yes right issue. yes so uh yeah here we go uh, we got a couple more boys we got uh, just two let's get it Estela Nunes uh, coming in Estela. <laughs> Versus Sam Hughes. Um, man, I, uh, Sam Hughes, uh, it seems like she's fighting out the string here. 0 and 3. <laughs> Losses to Luana Pinheiro, Loma Lubunmi, uh, that Tisha Torres demolition, uh, round one. 
Brutal. Also got that Vanessa Demopoulos round four submission loss on her record. Um, LFA. Yeah, Sam Hughes, five and four. Got that short notice, you know, quick call up against Tisha. And now seems to me like she's on her way to wash out of the UFC here because, uh, yeah, the, it, it just um, seems like she. Nunes is a beast. A more. Yeah. And N- Nunes, she's she's good, man. And Carnelosi, that lost to her. I mean, you, you can't shake her for that at all. So, I mean, listen, Nunes. She's she's got the counter striking off the back foot. Sam Hughes, she's gonna try to clinch. I don't know how successfully. I mean, you know, she's got some control rate in her career, but I I don't think that she's gonna offer anything that Carnelosi did. And I think Nunes is gonna be a little bit better prepared for it this time. Minus two twenty seems pretty fair. I'm much more apt to play that than I am the minus four ninety that we were seeing on Kianzad. Yeah, same type of idea, but the lower level you get. Uh, the worst that opponent is. So where it's like you're getting the minus 220 here, I totally see where it, it's, it's attractive on Nunes. So uh, I, I'll I'll probably end up throwing that. Whether it's whether it's her, whether it's Budai, whether it's both, uh, they're probably getting thrown in with Sabatini. It's feeling guru. Fair enough. Yeah. No. Listen. For for me, it's um. You know, I last time I was this impressed off a loss was like you know Rafa Garcia's loss to Nazarat. I was so impressed off of Estela Nunez's loss to Arniana Carnelosi. Carnelosi's the fucking Terminator. Like, that girl is so scary. Um, she hadn't really gone for any takedowns in that fight and showed such an, a high wrestling pedigree, too. And um, you watch Estela Nunez, you know, fight the hands, fight the, you know, fight in the clinch, push up against the cage, get taken down, work, scramble, turn, get back up, fight, fight the hands, fight out, and then start by. And she does it constantly, consistently. The problem is, as we know, Carnelosi is also a really good striker. So eventually she's getting too tired. She's getting terminated. She's still coming forward, still coming forward. She eventually just wears down and in that third round uh, succumbs to a finish. But like I said, um, I was just so, so impressed, not only by Carnelosi, but by what Nunez showed by her. Um, crazy combos. She's got a eclectic amount of strikes she can throw. She goes to the the leg. She goes to the body. She's long. She's lanky. Um, I just I'm not. Sam uses like kind of athletic, I guess, in terms of like she used to be a track and field athlete, and she likes to grapple herself, kind of clinch BJJ a little bit. But like I don't know. I don't know why did she pick him. I don't like. I, that's so mean. It's just so. It's weird. It's just. She's not. She doesn't really do anything like excellent so i'm just it's really really weird um i like nunez here i think nunez is parlayable like you said very long-windedly i think there's a bunch of different things we can parlay or two and it's kind of about figuring out what it is kelton so i indeed did that i parlayed uh estella nunez with pat sabatini i like nunez a lot in the spot i think sam hughes is about to go five and five out of the UFC, this is just a, a bad matchup for her, man. So I'm with you. I think Guru nailed that breakdown, by the way. I was impressed with that uh, that loss in, against Carnelosi as well. Let, let's not even uh, – you didn't even mention uh, Estella was coming off like a long, long layoff for that fight. Yes. She actually – Speaking of uh, uh, USADA suspension, uh, that's exactly what's. I remember up. being impressed with her tape then, and like almost, almost wanting to pick her against Carnelosi. Be like, no, you can't because Carnelosi is too much of a beast. But I remember being impressed then, and then coming away from that fight still even more impressed to 
your exact point, Kelvin. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned how like we hadn't really seen the the wrestling from Carnalosi before and like she had to pull that out because the way the striking was going, Carnalosi was chasing her down and she was getting countered badly. Uh yeah. this girl is Stella Nunes, she's a, a Muay Thai world champion in Brazil. Now she actually moved to the States. She trains an American top team. I think this is her spot to bounce back, man. She is going to put a striking clinic on Sam Hughes. Sam, it's just been so bad with Sam Hughes, man. Like I, I get that it's Tisha Torres, but like she gave Tisha Torres her only like finish loss in the UFC. So like, it's not about who you lost to. It's about how you lost. Uh, the, the last ones were kind of bad too. Like Luana Pinheiro, that's another bottom of the division girl. And even she 30, 27, Sam Hughes, um, I feel like Sam Hughes has to wear her down with wrestling here. There's just one problem. Sam Hughes hasn't landed a single takedown <laughs> in the UFC. Now she's tried. I believe she's, she shot a few takedowns, but like, Oh, three she's got, yeah, she's gotten them all stuff. That's even worse than if she would have never <laughs> shot a takedown before. Cause if she had never shot a takedown in the UFC, I'd be like, Oh shit, this will be the spot she's going to shoot. Maybe she'll get them. But the fact that I did see her shoot and they all got stuff, that just makes me even more confident in Estella. And like like Guru mentioned, even if we do get into situations of clinch and wrestling, like she did everything right to get out of those positions against Carnalosi. Carnalosi had a lot of takedowns in that fight, and the main reason why is because Estella kept getting, getting back, back up. up. Yeah. And like not only that, Carnalosi, like, have you seen this girl? She is looks I like mean, me, she, just jacked. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> She's the most jacked girl in the division, hands down, yeah. especially Yo. that uh, Andrage moved up. Like, even if Andrage was still a 115 pounder, I think she gives her a run for her money. Carnalosi is fucking huge, man. Huge. And Carnalosi, like, a lot of people don't remember, she was having a lot of success against uh, Angela Hill when they fought. Yes. Angela Hill's a top 10 girl, and Carnalosi was taking it to her. She ended up losing via doctor stoppage. So, like, Cardellosi is not a bad loss to have whatsoever, and it's extremely fight to extremely hard to fight to make your debut in. So, like, I feel like the UFC is doing Estella Nunes a big favor here, giving her this girl that's 0 and 3, about to be 0 and 4. Get her out of here, Estella yeah. Nunes. I'm gonna say highlight real KO, which wow. we do not see very often in women's MMA, but I just have a gut feeling here she is gonna put it on her in the stand up. What I, I what I think is so interesting, and then we will move on. And thank you for for teeing that up. I think that's so interesting that you last fight you could got Luana uh, Panero at like minus four hundred or more versus Sam Hughes. And I was thinking that since, especially since Luana Panero fights next week versus Jessica Penne, I was like, huh, I wonder what I would line Estela Nunes versus. Versus Jess, uh, versus uh, Paneo at versus Luana Paneo at, and it's like, well, I kind of think I would lean Nunez. Like I think Nunez would be the favorite because Paneo is just going to try to grapple, and I'm not sure that she's like a she's a good grappler, but I'm not sure that she's such a physical wrestler that she'd be able to take Nunez down either. So you're telling me that a fighter I think is worse was minus four hundred against now a fighter I think is better at minus two hundred. That's like kind of some convoluted MMA math, but more to the point that I think that there's value on Nunez. So let's move on to this last one. This is it. This is the moment that people have been waiting for me. <laughs> the end of the podcast? Is that what people have been waiting for? Uh, I mean, I hey, not. 
Hey, listen, we got we got a lot of people in here. Thanks so much to Kelton for for reaching out, getting the word yeah, thanks, out, Kelton, and, and uh, listen, like uh, thanks so much everyone for joining us. Throw a like, subscribe to the channel, make sure you're subscribed and following Kelton everywhere he's at MMA Kelton. And yeah, I mean, listen, we made it to what you guys have been waiting for: Alatang Lee versus Kevin Kroon. <laughs> uh, I listen. I'm just saying. I saw Curry Ninja up in there asking about. Here we go. We finally made it. Did we discuss Kroon versus Haley? We made it, guys. So. Yeah, uh, ultimately, this fight, um, you know, yes. I'm not sure. This is it, right? Yeah, well, it's funny. He, he's it's Curry Ninja, if you guys can read that. A lot of you can't. He, he's kind of like the over two and a half for both of those fights. I, I My read on this fight was the fight to go the distance. I didn't necessarily love playing a side. Um, I, I kind of just leaned the fight to go the distance. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be ugly uh alatang Haley loves getting a little scrappy fist fights from distance but you know for a guy that has some pretty solid wrestling 86 percent of the time at distance you know that that's a little sketchy here against a guy in croom that will just he, talk about a wet noodle i mean th this dude uh has been taken down six really out of eight bad. times so far in the ufc and and yeah i mean now cutting down to 135 that's a huge huge variable here uh trying to save his job in the ufc and now it's saying, hey, Lee, will he be able to overcome the size advantage? And if he does, you know, I could see him, you know, having some success in the wrestling just for a guy that doesn't really show that he's used it that often. Yeah, man. I, I mean, he has seven out of 21 takedowns attempted, but only 10 percent control overall. He loves spending time at distance. So, uh, yeah, I, I really do like that. That guru, that curry ninja. Like, let's let's get this fight to go the distance that. That ultimately is the prop that I want to play. And uh, right now, the over two and a half at minus 170 and the fight to go the distance minus 150. To me, that's almost just like a straight play. Uh, Guru, yeah. uh, anything else on that? No, not. Listen, he's, you know, Alatang's got, he's an orthodox fighter. He's got the wide stance, right? He keeps his hands in like this really weird spot where not only is he going to get hit to the face, but he also gets hit to the body, which you saw um, in his Casey Kenny fight where there's his, his fucking body is like almost bleeding from the, the body kicks that he just keeps eating um really really unfortunate for him um and I, and it's kind of like he i believe he keeps his hands there because he's not quite a boxer and he kind of wants him where he's gonna go for a takedown you want him to think you are but he's not doing that to all of our frustration um the problem is is that kevin croom while he kind of throws like you know kind of winging kicks and punches like he's he's got like kind of an interesting striking style he doesn't really have much power or anything like he's not going to command much respect on the feet in terms of that you watch somebody like boom you know like walk him down you're just seeing Kroom throw haymakers walking backwards like that's not going to go well versus Alatang either so um I, I find it very tough to pick Kroom here you've got to be very concerned about the weight cut you got to be very concerned about his job on the line um so yeah, I, I kind of lean somebody that maybe hasn't used the wrestling yet, but can maybe can at least. But like I said, fight to go the distance. I feel I actually feel better about than picking a side. So last last time tonight, Kelton, what do you think, buddy? Man, this is just an ugly fight. Um, yeah. my expectations for Alatang Haile were a lot higher, maybe a couple fights ago. Like I was super let down in the Gustavo Lopez fight. Um, you know, it says it's a draw. Highly did get a point taken. So if he didn't get that point taken, Alatang actually would have won unanimously. 
However, most people actually scored that two rounds to one for Gustavo Lopez, and I'm actually in that same boat. So I actually think Gustavo Lopez kind of got, I won't say robbed, but, you know, it it came down to the round one. Um, Gustavo clearly won round three. Alatang clearly won round two. There was the point deduction in round three. It it came down to whoever won round one. It was super close, but I gave it to Gustavo. So like, in my eyes, Alatang lost his last fight in a, a against a guy. I feel like he probably should have beaten. So I'm absolutely not ready to lay the minus one seventy or whatever it is on Alatang Haley here. I right. think if you were to bet a side, it probably would be the dog odds on Kevin Kroom. I feel like he does have some grappling upside here. And it's not just the grappling, it's the pressure. I feel like he's going to be the one going forward. Hmm. Alatang's going to be the one backing up. Uh, it's just going to be ugly, man. It's just all about how Alatang bounces back here. It's how he's, you know, we haven't really seen him fight a guy like Kevin Kroom. I mean, Kevin Kroom's a really like, He's a difficult guy to prepare for. Like, there's not really a a specific fight I can look at Alatang Haley and say, "Oh, let's see how he did against this guy." He's similar to Kevin Kroom. Like, this is a this is a weird one, man. Um, I feel like Kroom can have success with the pressure, but all in all, but how long can he pressure? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a fair question. Um, Alatang Haley's cardio isn't the true, isn't the greatest either, but um, I, I feel like he is the guy with the slightly higher ceiling. He's a little younger. I feel like his his strikes will have a little more pop on them. He should be able to stuff the takedown. So, like, I think he's the rightful favorite. And I'll pick Alatang Haley, but from a betting perspective, plus 150 or better on Kroom, like, I don't hate it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. I definitely... Uh... I, yeah, it's it's a super it's a super tough fight. Not anything that I necessarily want exposure on on the side, but... uh. What a what a hell of a way to break that down though. Um, one thing I did want to ask, and it's super unplanned. I don't have anything on it, but Bellator two seventy seven. I had a feeling that my man MMA Kelton might have something. So, did you have anything you maybe want to kind of share to the viewers? Because this is a sick card, right? You got AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull for the featherweight championship, and you've got Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson for the. Uh, Right? Isn't that for the light heavyweight belt yep. too? Like that's fucking sick. Yeah, so you got um a couple title fights there. Good good card for Bellator. So quick breakdown for the Pitbull AJ fight. Um AJ was this fight the first time was what? Like pick him. So now you're having to pay like minus 250, minus 300 for AJ. Yeah. I have so much respect for Pitbull that I don't want to lay that price on AJ even though I am going to pick AJ. I think I mean, you can make the argument AJ McKee's the best fighter outside the UFC. The dude's special, but like, I have a hard time seeing the fight going exactly the same. Like, if you were to make easy work of Pitbull again, holy shit, man. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say Pitbull makes this one a little harder on him, though, but ultimately AJ will get the win. Just not willing to finish? Um, Probably but just the fan in me wants to see Pitbull test him in like a 25 minute war. Right. It's possible, but yeah, AJ probably gets the finish. Um, I, I do even believe he finished him in that, in that first round, that fight. Oh man. Like, I that, was, was, that was so fucking crazy. That one. And um, I don't know if you've seen his sub win over uh, Darian Caldwell. That yeah, was another yeah. 
super fucking impressive. I mean, this kid's very, like very seriously impressive. the new breed. Modified neck crank, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a beast. But I actually do have two bets on this Bellator card. Okay. So I do have Vadim Nemkov against Corey Anderson. I feel like we've seen Vadim Nemkov get tested like this multiple times before. Uh, similar, similar spots, like former UFC guys as well. Like you can make some high comparisons. The Ryan Bader fight, another wrestler. He yeah. starches them, he stuffs any kind of takedowns. Uh, Phil Davis fight, he stuffs the takedowns. Corey Anderson needs takedowns in this fight. Let's be honest here because uh, that chin is suspect, man. It has yeah. been from the UFC days. I feel like his Bellator competition has been kind of light up to this point. And man, Vadim Nemkov, speaking of some light. of the best fighters out of the UFC, like this guy's one of them. He's got that uh, Sambo championship background. The dude can wrestle for days. He's super dangerous on the feet, like the... One of the most beautiful head kicks you'll see. I think it was the the Ryan Bader one. Like, dude is a monster, and I feel like he knocks out Corey Anderson. I feel like he can stuff the takedowns and touch that chin. Simple as that. I don't know why it's minus one sixty. It should be minus. It should be minus two sixty in my eyes. Wow. Um, and then there's a fight right before that. You got um former UFC fighter Tim Johnson. He's taking on Linton Vassell. I bet Linton Vassell in that fight. Um, Linton Vassell's a guy I've been watching for a long time. He used to be at light heavyweight and he recently moved up to heavyweight in recent years. Hmm. Um, also moved to Sanford MMA in recent years. He's a little older, but I like this dude, uh, Linton Vassell. I feel like he can beat most guys in Bellator other than like the, the elite of the elite and Tim Johnson. I'm not just, just got knocked out by Fedor. I'm so, yeah, I mean, why, would, how is he fighting doing? before Fedor? Even though he just got knocked out. <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah, man. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lynn Vassell, Vassell should roll here, I think, uh, standing or grappling. So I like awesome. both those guys. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, you're not going to hear any uh, back and forth argument from us because we don't break down Bellator, but I had a feeling that you might have a play. So thank you for giving us our first ever Bellator breakdown here on Chronic Combat Conversations. And thanks so much for joining us for your first uh, 2022 podcast. Uh, podcasting experience um you were awesome dude this card was honestly fairly challenging this was actually our 50th podcast ever which is also really cool so um yeah thank you thank you um but seriously you uh really really helped us uh flesh this this crazy mess out and uh made it feel honestly a lot less messy like i kind of felt like i was maybe complaining a little too much and you had such a <laughs> great great handle on it so thanks so much for for being here bud of course, man. It's crazy. You look at these fight cards, like when you're getting into the, the very beginning of your research, you'll kind of look at the card and be like, oh my God, this looks awful. I don't. And then you look at the lines and you're like, oh my God, I don't see anything I like here. And then you start to dig in and do a little bit of research and it just comes to you. I love the process of researching the fights and uh, it was even more fun to come on here and break them down with you guys appreciate you having me on um if you're not subscribed to these guys you know do that hit the like button i i think you guys uh should keep on grinding man i'm uh i i watched your uh show with lock of the night i think that was a few weeks ago mm -hmm. um uh, you guys should keep on going man um build Thanks, it up man, i mean i like it you're doing a great job 
We appreciate that, man. We'd be happy to have you back. Listen, that's at MMA Kelton on YouTube and on Twitter. You can follow me at Guru Scouting MMA on Twitter, Verdict, Instagram, and Tapology. And you can follow my awesome co-host at TV Scouting MMA on Verdict, Twitter, Instagram, and Tapology. If you happen to be in the Atlantic City area this weekend, pull up. We will be at CFFC 107. Uh, passing out business cards, just being uh, bad boys. Let's being go. Su- being super reckless for no reason. Um, out in AC. So come say what up. We're gonna be betting some money, watching some fights. It's gonna be a good ass time. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much to the guests. Uh, thanks so much to everybody in the chat. And uh, till next time. Next week we got uh, what, that card's crazy. We got uh, 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 what's her face? Both of those chicks. Who's just say who? Lemo, Lemos versus Andrade, baby. Thank you. Let's go. Thank We're you. getting it down. Take them away. Have a great night, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>